Warning. This episode contains some strong language and some disturbing imagery during the story. Listener discretion is advised. If you would like to skip the story, feel free to skip from the intro all the way forward to about the 20 minute mark. Tales from the Trunk, reading the stories that didn't make it. I'm Hilary B. Bisniaks. On today's episode, I'm super excited to have uh, author, uh, Nebula-nominated author and mega-fan of the show, Merck Van Wolfmer. More... Merck, welcome to the show! Thanks, I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, like you mentioned, I'm a huge fan of the show, so uh, I think I've only haven't watched or listened to today's episode, but that's what I'm doing after this. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, I was I was so excited when I saw you tweeting about the show back in February, because mm-hmm. I was like, so full disclosure, you've been on my like spreadsheet of wish list guests <laughs> nice. since I started the show, and suddenly I was like, oh, I have an in with them now. <laughs> like, this is fantastic. Yes, discovering this show is just a perfect way to, you know, kick off 2020 after, you know, everything going on. It's like, this is so nice. Yeah, and especially, like, that was February, so we didn't even know what was coming. Oh, right, I know. (laughs) Other than work Zooms, this is, like, the most social interaction I ever have with anybody is recording shows right now. Yep. Yeah, besides Twitter and... Yeah. So, sometimes Facebook. It's like, oh, I yep. haven't seen people in forever. I know. Uh, this is, uh, listeners, we are recording this in June of 2020 at approximately month three and a half for me of being in Quar. About the same, yep. And yeah, it's some it's some rough stuff. So, Merck, uh, you are going to be reading the story When Dreams Like Fire Spread, correct? That is correct. Fantastic. And is there anything that listeners need to know about before we get into the story? Uh, let's see. So this is a horror story. Fantastic. So there is a little bit of uh, violence, gore, and some mild language. But other than that, I think think uh it's it's i edited it down a little bit to get within the reading length so it's about 2500 words sweet all right ready when you are when dreams like fire spread the velociraptor's glossy sapphire blue feathers are a glitter in the fluorescent lights its sharp face is level with yours and where you sit on the linoleum and its painted toe claws click ever so lightly against the floor Do you dream in blood or in ash? The raptor asks. You flex your wrists against the cords. Plastic sheathed cable 
unspooled from an industrial-sized rack, clipped and shaped by hands far stronger than yours. Because it's not just the dinosaurs, not anymore. It's the android and the velvet-furred wolves and the soft-eyed bears with corduroy pelts and razor teeth. Ooh. Ash, you reply, because velociraptors can taste the lies if you skirt the sharp truth. You saw what they did to Gerald, after all. The velociraptor nods. This one, the blue in its feathers so bright your eyes ache to look at them. This one is the judge. Perched on empty metal shelves and crouched on the quarters where the aisles intersect, the rest, the jury, the executioners, wait and watch. They're multicolored, like iridescent skittles spilled across the linoleum floor. It's a colorful nightmare you've cracked open. That's good, says the judge. We have plenty of blood dreams now. Several of the other raptors hiss in agreement. Your breath escapes in the shaky relief. You still have value, and because of that, you have time. Time to fix this apocalypse, if you just knew how. A red velvet wolf prowls down the aisle of the store that used to be a Walmart. This might have even been the automotive supply section once upon a time. The wolf bobs its chin at the velociraptor. Omega sectors clear, judge. The wolf's voice is fluffy, like the cotton that once stuffed its fabric insides. I've got the pack ready for decontamination in Delta Sector when you're ready. Thank you. The velociraptor's teeth gleam in a smile. We will be done shortly. The wolf's once plastic eyes slant to you. It's bigger than the dinosaurs, almost the size of a half-grown Great Dane. But it simply nods again to the judge and pads off, the fringe along its tail swishing back and forth. You ate the last of your rationed granola bars this morning. Hunger keeps you weak, although you're not sure that's necessary when everything around you is faster, stronger, deadlier. Even though you've barely slept in three days, you need to focus. We've drawn up blueprints, the velociraptor says, of the next section. The velociraptor flicks its delicate forearm, beckoning. Oh god. The android, white plastic, red LED lights in the faceplate, its chassis a miniature torture chamber of saws and lasers and needles, stomps around the corner carrying a yellow legal pad. It rips off the top sheet and lays it before you. The blueprint is photographic in quality, and it shows you an aerial view of your old neighborhood. Pristine lawns, manicured exteriors, spotless streets. It's your idealized version of your home. In reality, or what was reality, it was dirtier, rougher, harder. Your old yellow bicycle with the bent handlebars lies on your porch, front tires spinning in a lazy circle. I can't, you protest. Please. The velociraptor's sickle-sharp toe claws click with finality against the linoleum. You will. The great muscled teddy bears that flank you are almost the size of real bears. They loom, ready to grab you and drag you back to the cage so you can dream and turn more of the world into ash. No, the word sneaks out, pitiful and small. That blueprint, well, that's the only bit of your reality you have left. Not there, not yet. The velociraptor's eyes brighten like a light switched on inside its narrow skull, and its spinal feathers bristle in excitement. You glare at the judge. Better to be angry rather than afraid. Challenges make them excited, and they keep you alive longer when they enjoy the sounds you make. Except, 
You still want to live. You want to fix this. You lean forward, your head down, and fold yourself against the floor in submission. There, tucked out of direct sight under the lip of the bottommost metal shelf, you see the paperclip. You suck your breath in, thinking at first it's just a trick of your exhausted brain. You stare, and the paperclip remains. It's leftover reality from your old life. It has power. You will do as bidden, dreamer, the judge says. You roll towards the shelf as the bears lean down to grab you. You palm the paperclip as the giant teddy bears lug you to your feet, their paws bruising your biceps. The metal digs into your sweaty palm. Solid. Real. A weapon. The velociraptor wants ash, so you will give them ash. After all, ash is the aftermath of fire. It's almost embarrassing how it happened. You didn't have some raging, unspeakable hatred of the world and desire for its destruction. You didn't want to bring about the end of the world. It's just, one night, you fell asleep and something changed. You were at work in the dream, because job-related anxiety was nothing new. (laughs) You were stocking pet food. A flat, thin metal can with a pull top set among the fancy feast containers. It had no label, no markings whatsoever. Because it was a dream, of course, you knew it was full of unreal energy, some overwhelming chaotic force from beyond our dimension trapped in that slim, cat food-sized can. And, because it was a dream, you opened it. The first thing the dinosaurs did when they appeared and took over was direct the humans to move all the stock outside into the parking lot. Great bonfires consumed anything deemed unusable, merchandise as well as uneaten bodies. The floors were swept and mopped. Nothing from the before was left in the great warehouse, except minimal rations for the prisoners. The store was turned into the seat of power for a new age, a new society. The judge's senior commander is a tiger-striped velociraptor, blue and yellow with eyes like green marbles. It blesses the items the raptors choose to use. The cages made from carts, your bonds, the food you're given in increasingly smaller quantities. The blessed items, well, they're as useless to you as they were in the before, just manufactured junk. In your plastic cage, you clasp the paperclip between your palms, aware of the teddy bears outside. Bears don't get bored the way raptors do. The wolves are industrious, constantly pushing further and further into the ruins of the city, taking the velociraptor with them to decontaminate what they want to keep. The red velvet wolf burns all the rest. You shut your eyes and begin the slow breathing cycle to calm yourself down. Lately, the dreams are fewer and farther away, less precise than before. It's why the judge brought you to the court to taste your words in case you were lying. They need to know that you're still dreaming. You curl your fingers inward and you can bend the paperclip until one end pokes into your palm. You press the metal into your skin until the pain is sharp enough to keep you from dozing off. The blood dreams were bad. You jerk awake, tasting the salty metallic tang and fight against the suffocating pressure of rivers of viscera and bodies drowning you. The dreams were effective though. The red velvet wolf brought reports of whole neighborhoods washed up on the streets. Focus. The paperclip is warm in your hands. You can never undo the horror you've caused, and that will haunt you forever. Yet, you've harbored one small, hopeful thought deep down in your heart where the velociraptors will never find it. 
If you created something yourself, not what your captors have forced you to make, it will be good. Perhaps, in time, it will hold the seeds of your redemption. Hmm. You can't escape. It's too late for that. Where would you run? The great metal T-Rex prowls the parking lot outside. The tarmac has become a maze of vehicles that were morphed into skeletal designs with the passengers still inside. The highways turn to tar pits, black sluggish ooze that meanders across the landscape. The sun is always orange, never moving from the apex in the green-blue sky. Plastic phoenixes nest in the sun rays, frozen against a handful of clouds. The phoenixes keep the sky molten so the rivers of tar always flow. The paperclip is hot now, thrumming against her skin. One of the teddy bears sniffs. You haven't had time to think this through, not in the detail. You need. The paperclip is what? 1.4 grams? You only know that because you googled it once when you were bored. That's <laughs> not much mass, but it must work. It's the only chance you will ever have. You shield your craft in your hands. It slowly bends, curling at the edges as it takes form. A miniaturized velociraptor, because it's a shape you know well. What are you doing, dreamer? The judge's voice startles you. The velociraptor stands there, a foot away. The judge is flanked by the tiger-striped raptor and the red velvet wolf. Oh, not now, oh God, not yet. You curl in on yourself, not bothering to hide your work. The paperclip turned tiny raptor flexes. You pierce your skin with a sharp point and a smear of blood over the metal. It's close. Not yet alive, but so close. Maybe you can't destroy your captors, but a piece of before, made in their image, maybe that will succeed where you failed. The judge screeches a high-pitched, undulating call. You spit in your hands, rubbing saliva over the bloodied metal. Teddy bears rip the cage apart. Plastic cracks like bubble wrap sheets you always loved stomping on when no one was around. You can feel tiny metal ribs begin to expand and contract in your palms. A newborn's first breath. Come on. You press the tiny raptor's muzzle to your forehead and let all the horrid memory of blood and ash and dark and light bubble from your brain into the thing you've made. You teach it how to dream. Then pain flays your spine and you scream. The teddy bear's claws rip your grimy uniform shirt into shreds and your flesh with it. A paw slams into the side of your face. You're spinning, arms going wide as your body leaves the floor. The paperclip raptor goes flying. You land hard, breath knocked out, your eyes blurred with tears. Where's the paperclip? It isn't ready. Worse, it's alone. You didn't mean to abandon it as your first act of creator. I'm sorry. I wish it did not have to end this way, dreamer, the velociraptor judge says. I began to like you. You almost laugh, except it comes out in a choked sob. Then something glitters in the corner of your eye. You blink hard, trying to see. If nothing else, you want to be able to look at the judge. You've watched everyone else die. It's fair you should be able to see it coming for you in the end. The iridescent crest along the velociraptor's neck puffs out. Android, it says. Too much freedom for our dreamer will only cause more problems. You stop breathing for a moment. Down another aisle, you hear the weird thump of the android's footsteps. No, 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 no. Something metal skitters closer to you, but the judge and the blessed raptor and the red velvet wolf are watching you too closely. The teddy bears force your head down. 
And then, you catch a glimpse of the tiny paperclip Velociraptor padding through your pooling blood. It skitters up the blue Velociraptor's leg, hidden in the plumage. And because you know how dreams work, you know that your newborn nightmare will burrow into the judge's mind. There, it will dream its own dreams. You wake on what was once the fabric cutting table, your legs broken and stapled to the green plastic top. The pain is everywhere. You moan as you try to sit up. You can't. They've sewn your spine into the table with nylon fishing line. An archaeopteryx made from greeting cards and wrapping paper perches on your chest. It preens bits of confetti from its feathers and force feeds you. You have to stay alive. The skylight above you is your only escape. You watch the endless sunlit sky and the plastic phoenixes that circle and scream at each other. Your skin is a map pulled taut into stretches of leather and inscribed with lasers. The android designs new diagrams each day, erasing and starting over when the map is full. Then, one day, you're not sure which one, you notice the leaves. Small silver foliage on the shape of paper clips are growing along the edge of the skylight. The judge chases the Archaeopteryx off and stands over you. Its blue feathers are duller, the tips dark violet and half-molted. In its black eyes, the ghost image of a metallic paperclip raptor smiles at you. What did you do, dreamer? the judge asks. It begins to rain. Actual water, fresh and clear, formed in gray clouds. It's the first rain you've seen since before. Steam rises from the phoenixes and they begin to scream. Water splashes against your face. It feels like vinegar mixed with salt injected into your nerves, but you can hardly care. The water is beautiful. The judge hisses and leaps off the table. What did you do? One day, if you live, you will see your paperclip raptor again. The world is changing. It will never be the same, but perhaps your creation will make it better. You bask in the rain as it washes over your skin. I did what you asked, you whisper and shut your eyes. I dreamed. And that is the end of that. Ooh, giving me chills yeah, in all the right ways. <laughs> yeah, I still have, still have a bit of fondness for that story, just because it's so weird. Absolutely, it is an amazing contrast for me because I have been basically doing nothing except reading uh, fluffy Shira fanfic an excellent for like the last month and like i i have an a deep and abiding love for horror and just haven't been reading any Mm -hmm. but to have it visited upon i mean okay i will i will go and seek it out sometimes in like the small ways on twitter where there's like you know bite-sized creepypasta Mm -hmm. those are so great it's so nice to have a delivery of horror for me right now. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, and and to have a delivery of feathered dinosaurs. Yes. <laughs> Very important. So before we get into some more things about that story, mm-hmm. I just wanted to make sure that we had a chance to plug robot dinosaur fiction. Oh, yes. Yes. Because robots and dinosaurs both appear in this story, and uh, that is a project that is, I know, near and dear to your heart, and as a reader, near and dear to my heart. 
Yes. Yeah, robot dinosaur fiction has been an absolute joy for me to uh, curate. Uh, I am hoping, probably by the time this podcast is out, hopefully the last two stories will be online. It's just sort of a matter of logistics and, you know, dealing with everything going on right now. Yes. Um, But yes. Which there is a lot of. There is a lot, yes. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that. And yeah, it's it's such a great project. Um, And I'm pretty sure that we've had a robot dinosaur story on this show already with uh, AJ Hackwith. Yes. I do remember that one, yes. Yeah. Uh, so nice nice little uh, coming full circle here. Right, yeah. That was almost, fun to hear. Almost a year apart-ish, at least from the recording standpoint, to have those. Um, so, I want to know everything about this story. <laughs> um, but specifically, you know... You said it's something that's near and dear to your heart, and that's something, like, very relatable to me for the stories that I, like, actually write and take through the drafting process Mm -hmm. that don't ever make it out of the trunk. And so I wanted to know, A, what is, like, your favorite thing about that story? And B, like, what was the thing that finally made you realize, oh, this has to go in the trunk, sadly? (laughs) Well, uh, according to my notes, which uh, I fortunately kept, uh, I wrote this in 2013. I revised Mm -hmm. it in 2014 and subbed it a bunch. And I think I ended up trunking it in late 2015. So it had, you know, it had some rounds made. But Mm -hmm. um, I think, well, one of the things I obviously like is the second person dream logic horror with uh, sentient killer toys. (laughs) It's kind Mm -hmm. of my jam. And... That also, I think, in the end, was kind of what made me think, you know, it's it's just not connecting with an audience right now. And I think uh, looking at, back at it from a perspective of now, Merck, I'm like, mm, mm-hmm. there's some definite things I could have I could have done to, you know, improve it if I was going to take it out of the trunk. But I think it's it's probably going to stay there. And you know, now it lives on in the podcast, so I'm happy with that. Absolutely, yeah. But um, yeah, that is. Um, that's something I like about this show is offering that opportunity yes. to say, okay, I know this is like, this is in the trunk, but I can still share it with exactly, people. Exactly, yeah. Um, and like, and be able to share it in a way where it's like, you know, I acknowledge that I love this and it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. I love this and it didn't connect, but it, it means something to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I know a lot of, I like, well, I've heard <laughs> a lot of people just like second person, and personally, I don't understand that because I adore second person. But I also do realize that it tends to make things somewhat of a harder sell. Um, mm-hmm. Which, again, you know, it's a weird horror story about dream logic and dinosaurs and robots. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I feel like I've written. I feel like the only second person stuff I've ever written has been horror stories. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something really effective about writing horror in the second person. In a way, um, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering goodness more than a decade ago, taking a, uh, 
class in my fiction track in college that one of my professors was talking about second person and was like, second person is really good for specific things, but it's really hard to sell it for... I think she was trying to say that it was really hard to sell it for what a lot of people in my class were writing, Mm -hmm. which was not genre fiction. Oh, sure. Like, you know, when, when you're writing sad coffee shop man... (laughs) <laughs> stories it's it's a lot harder to say you know oh you're pining after the barista but you know after your summers in spain whatever like that it's never going to work but like for a horror story you're like oh yeah that thing's scary as shit i want to be away from it <laughs> yes yeah no horror really works well in in sort of a second person because it it places you more firmly well in a way it places you firmly in the story like this is almost happening to an analog of you so it heightens everything mm-hmm. and it's it reminds yeah. me a lot of um how uh first person horror video games work it's basically mm-hmm. a second person point of view because you the character are playing the game and interacting with the story and it's very effective for sure yeah that's i love horror media mm-hmm. in general i have a low tolerance for it in some instances oh, like sure. i'm really bad at horror movies a lot of the time because or at least i'm really bad at horror movies that rely on jump scares oh, yeah. and i have to be in a very specific frame of mind to want to watch it like a gory movie and i've never like been much of a slasher person sure but like the deep and abiding dread end of the genre is really like really does something for me and then like horror games i will often nope out and never actually finish a game because i'll get to a point where i'm like i am too scared (laughs) in the middle of the day to keep playing this it is making me too anxious totally fair (laughs) but but it's still like i've definitely watched all the way to the end of other people playing a lot of games i I like that when people are able to share like hey i don't want to play it but i will play it and you can watch and or you know reading summaries of a movie i know a lot of people who like to just read the summary of the movie on wikipedia or something i'm like that's awesome good for you yeah 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 i i definitely have read the plots to a lot of horror movies on wikipedia and read a lot of like you know real life horror stuff yeah on wikipedia and like listening to uh the lore podcast which is a lot of like you know here's i researched this creepy thing and i'm going to tell about tell you about it and also atmospheric podcast noises yes oh. it's gonna be great <laughs> i just started listening to the magnus archives and i'm only Ooh. a couple episodes in but i absolutely love it it's that perfect mix of like creepy horror with a really nice voice and the atmospheric sound and music i'm just like yes this is this yeah. is good yeah it is i am like i was a big fan of podcasts from sort of the beginning of podcasts being a thing but i never in my wildest dreams 
could have imagined in 2006, like, where podcasting would be now. And it's so cool. You know, I've talked about this before on the show of, like, podcasting is democratic. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I really appreciate of, like, you know, nobody else was going to make this show. So I made this show. And, like, and it resonates with people. And it, like, it has a small dedicated audience of people who, you know... That's their jam. I, yeah. I didn't know that I was missing making this show. And, like, you know, I don't think you knew you were missing this show existing before it happened. Right, but yeah, like, but once I find it, I'm like, oh, I need this, and I needed it, and it's so glad it exists. Yeah. But, like, the same thing of, like, it's this storytelling medium that we just, like, I was, you know, when I started listening to podcasts, it was, you know, like, technology news podcasts that were just, like, here's an hour of three white people talking to each other <laughs> yeah. about, you know, a bunch of billionaires and, like, the Microsoft Zune and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, here's, here's a live concert archive from a jam band. We're going to put up episodes weekly. And I was like, okay, yeah, podcasting's cool. Like, I can listen to this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, I I think for me, like, the mold started... I started appreciating where it could go when I first heard writing excuses. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't... Even then, I couldn't have foreseen, like, oh, yeah, welcome to Night Vale. Oh, right? <laughs> Night Vale is so great. Yeah, I I remember back when I was younger, and we still listened to audio cassette tapes a lot. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. There was... Uh, the library had collections of, like, the X-1 and old radio shows, and mm. we would listen to those in the car when, you know, going on errands or whatnot, and that was just like... I'm like, oh, yeah, this is really cool. So then, like, you know, eventually, 10, 15, whatever years later, podcasts doing the same kind of setup is just like, oh, yes, this is so great. And it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, my first exposure to your writing, this is seems like quite a segue, but I <laughs> promise it will tie back, uh, was your fantastic Nebula-nominated short story... Uh, short story? Yes. Novella? Novelette? Short story. Okay. Uh, this is not a wardrobe door yes. from Fireside, which was, like, honestly is probably the best portal fantasy i've read like hands down because it is externally savvy of the genre right yeah in a way that like it's it's i didn't make this connection until just now but it ticks some of the same boxes that uh sarah reese brennan's in other lands ticks of having just that level of genre savvy applied to a portal fantasy as opposed to a bunch of, you know, colonial exceptionalism and white British children. Walking through a door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the, that... So the the atmosphere in that story feels very connected. Like, I can draw a straight line from that atmosphere in that story to the horror story you just read. But I think people who read that and had not read anything else from you might be surprised at that line to horror. Yes. And so I wanted I wanted to know if you could talk a bit about sort of your attraction to the horror genre. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, so horror has always kind of been like my first, 
I would say, like, my first real literary love. Like, I started reading short horror stories and, of course, watching horror movies when I was very small. And probably mm-hmm. not appropriate, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was... It just really connected with me a lot of the sense of sometimes being an outsider or, you know, you feel like something is not quite right with the world, but you're not sure. Is it you or is it like the society? And there's like that tension that horror Mm -hmm. really brings out. Um, Sometimes it's, you know, really heavy handed and obvious, but but sometimes it can be like really subtle. And, of course, every example is going to leave my mind exactly when I need it. But, you know, (laughs) a lot of horror, there's, like, there's so many different ways you can explore themes and and insecurities and fears that Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps won't come up as much, maybe, in other fantasy, like, fantasy or science fiction. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. But horror definitely has that uh, that sort of, it sucks you in and it's like a visceral sense of you can connect mm-hmm. with the story in a way that maybe yeah. you can't with other genres. Like That's kind of how it was for me. So I mm-hmm. definitely started, when I, <laughs> when I started writing, uh, it was a lot of fantasy at first, but it definitely slanted towards the darker side of like dark fantasy and Mm -hmm. then i started writing a lot of horror (laughs) and uh eventually it it shifted back to like fantasy and science fiction but that that sort of um horror streak has always been there and sort of my my brand as uh Mm -hmm. as a writer yeah for sure and uh and i liked to see where the how far you can kind of uh, like push stories to be like, okay, so this is technically science fiction, but <laughs> it feels like a horror story, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I feel that, especially when I'm doing the whole submissions mm-hmm. thing, I definitely feel that where I'm like, okay, is this is this too much horror for the science fiction markets? Right. And is this too much science fiction for the horror markets? Like, Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I really like when genres kind of blend together. and But then, you mm-hmm. know, it does make it difficult when venues are like, no, we don't want horror. But then you're like, oh, yeah. is this really horror? Or is it just really dark sci-fi? <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, you know, I think it it helps to like have a sense for the editors, yes. especially even more so than for what the market says right. that they want. That like, as we are recording this, it is the final day of the submissions period for next spring's Fireside Quarterly, yes. which is being edited by Ryan Boyd. Oh, I'm so excited to read this, and so I like whipped out a story that I knew I was like I haven't been able to sell this anywhere Mm -hmm. but I know that this will be exactly their jam and you know fingers crossed oh fingers crossed that that works out (laughs) as it should as I hope it right right (laughs) but that it's it is that sort of it started out as we were 
my wife and I were in New Zealand on our honeymoon, and we were talking about Pokemon Go while we were walking around a park, and how, what if there were an augmented reality version of Pokemon Go, but it was just for, like, your AR glasses showing you when there was a good dog to look at nearby. I would love that. And, (laughs) and, you know, to, to show the differentiation between us, my wife was like, oh, wouldn't that be cute? Here's a cute story idea for you. And I was like, ah, yes, a horror story. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And, like, I don't think that that story necessarily says a whole lot about humanity, but other than saying something about me of, like, (laughs) oh, technology is a horror show. Right. And it's terrible. But... What you were saying about horror being a way to connect with things uh, really viscerally is something that uh, really resonates with me. Uh, and I, I know I've had conversations with non-horror people before about like, oh, well, why why do you like horror? Right. And like part of it is, for me, part of it is like, oh, you get to you get to paint these pictures of like, the deepest parts of humanity. Um, again, for Ryan Boyd, because they just tweeted the other day about, like, going outside and seeing all these people hanging out with masks. no masks oh. on. Duh. Yeah. Which is, yeah, crazy-making. <laughs> and then a little way down thread, they said, this is officially, you know, you can... You can point this out to me every time for every time I've busted on the people hanging out in a mall scene from the original Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you know, that is like, yeah, it can be heavy handed, but it is still like Romero was saying something that is still yep. absolutely <laughs> true. But then the other thing for me with horror is it is a place to safely explore the things that scare me that like, you know, maybe I will still wake up having a bad dream or like not want to walk around the house in the dark after I've watched a really scary movie. But like, or I'm thinking of, I didn't have as bad a reaction as some of my friends did, but the Doctor Who episode Blink (laughs) is like, still haunts me it was delightfully creepy yeah but i i'm sorry for everybody who i just gave horrible flashbacks (laughs) to but for me like the fact that like for a lot of the horror i consume is in books in stories that i can close the book right you have that escape exit yeah and that being said, like, several of... I think the first horror story I ever sold was based on the idea of, like, I know there's this bad thing that is lurking on this media, and, like, you know, I've got the ring tape here, and I know that if I stick it in the machine, something bad is going to happen, and I should be safe, but I kind of want to know. Right, yeah. Yeah. So it's just, 
for me, it's really satisfying to be able to safely explore that. Yeah, I think that is a definite big draw for me as well. Like you can, you can look into all these these really creepy spaces and explore these maybe uncomfortable things, but you have mm-hmm. the you you have an escape exit. Unlike <laughs> maybe your protagonist in a horror movie doesn't, but you know right. that's <laughs> where the you know you the viewer or the reader can kind of be okay there's this there's a separation here a distance that keeps me safe so i can process this without actually having to experience it mm-hmm. one of the other things and I, I know that other people have said this in a lot smarter way than i'm going to but like one of the other things as a queer person experiencing horror is that for better or for worse traditionally like queer people and other othered groups get represented in horror way more than most other genres. Yep. Even if it's in a bad way, it's still like, yeah, oh my like, gosh, it's, so it's definitely the bad way, but it's still like, there's a person who's like me. Right. Like, there is somebody who is divergent from, like, mainstream society, mm-hmm. and I'm going to latch on to them, even though I know that, like, they're going to be killed in a heavy-handed morality <laughs> right. move or, like, demonized for being mentally ill or any of these things. Like, they are there. Yeah. They are there, and that definitely... It matters. I mean, I wish there was better representation in a lot of this, but the fact that it's even yeah. there in the first place is was definitely a, a big draw for me. It's like, oh, there's there's people actually out there like me? What? Mm-hmm. And it's it's even, you know, for for me, like, I didn't know that about myself for, you know, 30-odd years mm-hmm. going through life as a queer person not knowing I was queer, but knowing, like, seeing, like, oh, I'm attracted to these things. Right. And, you know... Marge Simpson, I just think they're neat. JPEG. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's it's telling the things that we go after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's it's really cool now to see the number of queer people like taking back that space. Yes. Oh, it's been such a great the last five years or so. I've been. So incredibly great for just seeing more queer horror and horror by queer writers and uh, seeing the the genre kind of like brought into ex- more accepting and, and kind of just mm-hmm. like, hey, we're here and we're going to shove our stories in your genre and whether you like it or not. <laughs> yeah. We are going to stab through your shower curtain. Yes. <laughs> right now. You can put a... And- yeah. You put on the glasses and all you see are queer stories. Yep. I realize after making the psycho joke that there is very problematic queer representation in psycho. Yes. That is true. Uh, listeners, if you're not familiar, go ahead and just read the Wikipedia like we all do. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it is it is I mean, in general, it's so cool to be seeing queer people like coming into their own in these spaces and you know i feel like it was 
an unconscionably long time ago that we had the queer people destroy series of anthologies like i think about it as being like oh that was just last year but just last year was 2019 (laughs) and it was definitely not just last year that we started with i think it started with women destroy and And then then it went to queer queer people people and people of color and and then yeah and then canny did the disabled people destroy science fiction and fantasy i think i don't think they got to horror sadly i don't think they yeah unfortunately but man that would have been an anthology uh yeah i i just um john westwell had sent me one of his uh, more recent stories that he'd written which is a horror story and it was Mm -hmm. just so queer and so good and i just i'm so in love with it i really really hope it publishes soon uh but yeah, yeah no it's it's just it's awesome seeing all the the new voices and uh, people getting into the genre mm-hmm. and sharing their stories. And it's like, it just makes me feel so good because there's this richness now available. Yeah. And being on both sides of the editorial coin, too, mm-hmm. that like we have people... I mean, you know, a lot of editors are also writers, yep. but like we have people like Elsa Sanderson taking like major editorial roles yeah. as queer disabled people and like saying, you know, yeah, we're going to be here, we're going to have our voices heard, and we're going to make sure that everybody does better. Yeah. I am so excited that uh Wendy is taking over as editor in chief of Nightmare in September. I just oh, yeah. like uh she's so great. She's an amazing editor and I'm just so excited to see where her new vision kind of takes that market yeah, and see where, where we go from there, because it's, it's just so exciting. It is. It seriously is. So at this point in the show, uh, I just heard a weird noise, and this blue telephone box appeared. Oh and I'm wondering if maybe you and I can step into this time machine and go talk to baby writer Merck about some of the things that you wish you'd known back then. Absolutely, because time is fake, but I also love time travel, so... <laughs> yes. Um, I think... Time being fake makes time travel easier. Exactly. It's so much helpful. <laughs> um, I think one of the things I would like to tell uh, Small Mark is that all your weird ideas are good, actually. <laughs> A lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was starting out, I had like all these wild ideas, and I wanted to write all this really weird, cool shit. But then, I, st- I, I mean, some of it was, you know, I didn't quite have the chops to pull it off. But at the same time, I would be, mm-hmm. you know, reading markets that are like, we don't like this kind of stuff, and submitting and being rejected a lot. Which, fair, a lot of the early writing I did <laughs> was yeah. pretty bad. So I do not blame them at all. But. Even just the reading of markets, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, it was it was hard to envision that I could have a place in there. Mm-hmm. Like, my stories could find readers and other people who really connected with them. Um, and it just took a lot of work and time and continuing work and time. But, yeah, I would say yeah. for... Yeah, my younger self is like, your weird ideas are okay, and it is good to write what really 
inspires and makes you happy. Because I think mm-hmm. I, I definitely went through that phase where I'm like, I must write what people want to read. And so, <laughs> you know, I had like really stilted stories or I would basically edit out all the voice or personality from the things that I was mm-hmm. writing in the hopes that it would be palatable for the market. And obviously that didn't work any better. Right. So, so yeah, um, embracing your weird is really what I would like to tell younger Merck and then, you know, other writers, maybe baby writers who are just starting out and finding their voice and their feet. Um, yeah, like, what makes you excited is what is going to make your story stand out. And mm-hmm. your uniqueness and your voice are special, and they should be allowed to shine in your work. And it's not always easy, obviously, and, you know, it won't connect with everybody, but the the parts that of yourself that you put into your story are um, what's what's really important and mm-hmm. what makes your stories worth, you know, worth telling. Yeah, that's... Boy, I wish that you could have told <laughs> right. me that when I was... <laughs> I'm like, oh, I wish I like, could send a letter back in time. <laughs> 18 years old, and... I mean, I was I was chasing my joy at 18, but, like, by 21 or so, I was definitely having some problems mm-hmm. there, where I was like, uh, what am I gonna do? Yeah, yeah that's really... I think that's really important to remember even now that, Mm -hmm. like, your joy is what actually, your joy is what sells your story, and your joy is, your joy will make it through the edits if you let it. Yep. And I know, like, that's, I think one issue I have with the phrase, kill your darlings, is I know that it's been discussed and by a lot of smarter people, but... When I had first heard that, I had often taken it as, like, anything that you specifically like must be taken out. And Mm -hmm. that was really harmful, (laughs) and still is. Uh, Yeah. So, it's, yeah, the the phrase is one I would like to see taken out of um, writing advice everywhere. But, but yeah, it's like, the things that get you really excited are definitely what stands out and what um, makes the story you. And, mm-hmm. uh, like, yeah, I just, uh, well, so a month ago or so, which would have been May, so whenever this comes out, <laughs> it was in May, <laughs> um, I had ended up unexpectedly writing a novella um, that was mm-hmm. basically just all the things I liked just shoved into one story. <laughs> so it's got all sorts of, it's like, it's a story about the wild hunt and then you have all these queer characters and all this weird body horror going on and um there's flashbacks (laughs) because i like flashbacks and uh it's just like i just shoved everything in there and i just it made me really happy and i'm like you know even if this never sells or nobody else reads it i wrote it for myself and that was what i needed at the time and it just made me happy to not self-center or self-censor all the cool shit mm-hmm. that I wanted to put in there. Yeah, for real. And I I think to your point about the the advice to kill your darlings like that is you know, I mean there there's like a lot of I hate to use the word, but there's a lot of gatekeeping mm-hmm. happening 
at the editorial level historically of like you know oh we can't sell this it's got queer people in it like that's oh my that is a niche market (laughs) that is not general oh my gosh your story has two ace characters this is just unreal and i'm like looking Uh at my entire friends group like hello there's like 25 billion of us (laughs) yeah for real but like that i think a lot of people have internalized that Mm -hmm. to mean don't put in the things that are important yes, to me. Yes. Even from the start, like not even you know take them out, but just just like, don't even start them. Yeah. Oh, I can't, I can't put that in mm-hmm. there because that's not going to sell. And like, if that's what your joy is, and that if that's you know right, your joy, if that's yeah. speaking your truth, then that's absolutely what people need to be hearing. Yeah, writing your joy is just so important, and um... yeah, and like. I think that that is, having finished Netflix's She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, mm-hmm. was the first time that I really fell into the fanfic portion of a fandom. Oh, yeah. In a way that, like, like I'd, you know, I'd finished other media before and been like, oh, I wish there was more of that, but then for whatever, you know mostly society probably Mm, reasons didn't then pursue the fanfic there but with with she-ra i think especially because it is an explicitly queer show where not only like are there canonically queer characters but it is important that there are queer characters to the the world to the story that i was like okay i need more of this, but that fanfic is the place where people aren't killing their darlings. Yes, yes. And it's such a vital space because of that, because we have, you know, all these people who, yeah, absolutely, fanfic can be Mary Sue's, and it can be just writing your id, and it can be self-insert and whatever. And that's good. Fanfic is good, actually. Yes, it is. I love fanfic, and... Uh, yeah, and it was, I think, definitely in some corners uh, when I was baby writer starting out, just finding fanfic at all. Be like, oh, you can do this? And be like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, okay, okay. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, just, so I'm, I'm a very big fan of fan fiction. The show that inspired me to make this show, Be the Serpent, mm-hmm. stands fanfic yes. hard. And uh, I think between, like, Be the Serpent being now on the fan cast ballot two years in a row and Just having awesome. AO3 win yes, best yes. related work, like, people are finally starting to realize this. Yep, the main seems like, oh, this is a thing. Yeah. And then we're all over here like, yes! <laughs> We've been doing transformative work, work for, for decades. Yeah. And transformative work has always been queer and always yep. been led by queer people and women and non-binary and transgender people and autistic people and, like, get with right. it, everybody else. <laughs> exactly. Come on, get with the times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're getting about to the end of the mm-hmm. show already, which is shocking to oh, me wow, because it's, time is fake is and true. I did not think that we'd been talking <laughs> that long already. But we have a couple of things that you wanted to make sure that we would plug on this show. Yes. Uh 
So in addition to Robot Dinosaur Fiction, which you should absolutely go and check out. Yes, all the uh, authors are amazing. They are robotdinosaurfiction.com. Yes. Fantastic. And link will be in the show notes as well for that. Perfect. Uh, But you also have work coming out in My Battery is Low and It is Getting Dark. Yep. It's uh, an anthology from um, Zombies Need Brains Press, which I have to admit that is just like one of my favorite press names. (laughs) It is so so great. Yeah. So that one comes out in July. So it should be out by the time the podcast is here. Uh, And I have a story in it. Um, called This Cold Red Dust. And it's about a robotic toy that gets used as a diary and then who helps a lone survivor who's been abandoned on Mars. Um, and it's it's like, it has a lot of feels. And uh, it was very much a me story, so I'm super excited for that. And then... That's fantastic. There is a really cool trio of uh, connected anthologies called the Dystopia Triptych. Um, It's edited by John Joseph Adams, Christy Yant, and Hugh Huey. And Mm -hmm. these will be... I believe they're released at the end of June, so they, again, should be out. But um, what's cool about it is that each book is a section of like how the dystopia so you have the first book is the beginning of this dystopia the second one is during Mm -hmm. the middle and the third one is kind of how things change or are you know we win or how we get out of the dystopia and um it's it's really cool concept wise and each author Mm -hmm. wrote three stories so there's one per book and um i wrote uh my lawless series which is about the new near future USA hellscape. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's full of very queer trans characters uh, who are saving each other and their future. And it's really dark. It's science fiction horror, basically. Um, but mm-hmm. I'm very proud of the stories and I really hope people uh, dig them. Yeah, that sounds super cool. And I'm looking forward to uh, picking those yes, up. And the cover art for- is amazing, too. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, seeing who's on the masthead for editing mm-hmm. those, I would expect nothing less than that. Like, yes. There is, you know, I, I, in addition to the podcast space, like the anthology space has been changed oh, for the better yeah. in so many it's ways. It's been incredible. Like, you know, I, I definitely have criticisms of crowdfunding as writ large that there are problems with right. it and you know there are obviously people who are in it to scam and whatever but in the short fiction space like we wouldn't get these anthologies mm-hmm. from major publishing houses right. yeah didn't um was it silk and steel an anthology uh is coming yes. well at this point i think it's still coming out this summer but i'm so looking forward to reading that uh I'm yeah, so I believe Silk and Steel comes out in late October. Okay, so you can pre-order it. Yes, uh, and that is edited by uh, Jennifer Mace and Freya Marsk and somebody else. I know that I am blanking on their name, but that that just came out of an illustration yeah. that somebody yeeted into... Macy's timeline, right. and ladies. she was like, yes. I need to have an anthology of sword lesbians yes. now. I'm so excited for this. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, I'm I'm glancing over at my anthology sel- shelf, which has you know Sword and Sonnet mm-hmm. on it, and it has No Shit There I Was, and all of these anthologies that are very specific. And only happened because there were people who had this vision and said, I want to do this. And I bet that there are, you know, other people, three, four, five hundred people who also right. want it enough to pay money for it. Yeah, there was um, a online anthology, um, Avatar Incorporated, and edited by Anne Vandermeer, um, which came out in March. And it's all free online and there's gorgeous illustrations and it's so cool because it's it's basically you pick the authors picked one year in the near future about mm-hmm. a an avatar which is doing something cool like exploring the deep sea is my story and we have going to mars and you have uh, people you know building cities and all sorts of cool stuff and it's all connected through uh, basically the archives that someone has found that the avatar went through and um it's just it's so cool but yeah it's again it's one of those things that you know people out there like hey this is a cool idea and let's uh let's do it and then you know people like oh yeah this is cool so then you have all this awesome new fiction uh Mm -hmm. free to read online and it's just great a link to that will be in the show notes as well uh i I'm unsurprised that I missed that only because it was beginning of March, March when everything yes, was yeah, falling apart. Exactly. It was March 13th, which I think it was a Friday. So it was like that whole convergence of like, this yeah. is awesome, but it's also coming out uh, in the middle of March and there's a lot going on. <laughs> but yeah, yeah I, I definitely recommend reading the Avatar Incorporated stories. They are amazing. Fantastic. Well, I will be checking those out. Before we go, Merck, where can listeners find you elsewhere online? Uh, I am mostly on Twitter. It's at Merck underscore Wolfmore. And that's pretty much my main online presence right now. And I am on Twitter <laughs> probably a lot more than I should be, but uh, yeah. always happy to chat <laughs> with people. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's pretty yeah. much. Otherwise, you can find stories at my website, yeah, I think that's about it right now. Fantastic. And that is MerkFenWolfmore.com. Yes. And again, all these links will be in the show notes. That is something that I I always try to make sure usually gets assembled before the show goes out. Sometimes it takes a couple of days, depending on where my spoons are at. But like... Right. I think it's super important because I know that I won't remember things from the middle of a podcast unless I have (laughs) a link to it or I can write it down and do write it down. And the can and the do rarely intersect. Yep, it's... There's a lot to keep track of and brains are... (laughs) Brains are hard enough already. (laughs) Brains are hard. Brains are real hard. Well, Merck, it's been an absolute joy to have you on the show i really appreciate you joining thank you yes this has been a delight and i am so happy to be on here excellent uh listeners join us again next month when our august guest will be author karen osborne of the forthcoming novel architects of memory i recommend that before you even hear this interview you go out and pre-order that book tales from the trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful oakland california Our theme music is Paper Wings 
by Ryan Boyd. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Twitter at trunkcast, and I tweet at hbbisniacs. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject. Don't self-reject.